Welcome, everybody, to All In with Aqueous. I'm your host, Mike Lon Memo Minio. This is episode six, and today we have Ryan Bress in his own studio. He's doing the recording and the talking today. Multi-talented superstar. A quick couple notes before we get started. Uh, we are sponsored by Community Beer Works here in Buffalo, and the All In with Aqueous podcast is a proud partner of the Osiris Podcast Network, which you can find at osirispod.com. So let's get into it. Welcome, Ryan, to the show. We're glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're doing most of the work behind the scenes, so you get a little mic time. You get to be the star for a day instead of you know always being behind the lights and sound. It's your time to shine today. Let's see what you got. All right. All right. So, Ryan, let's uh, we'll get right into it. Um, maybe we'll talk a little bit um, to start. Just you know, you, you guys have been out doing some shows lately. If you want to maybe touch on you know Electric Forest, a couple of the shows recently, and you know how it was and what you thought. Sure. Uh, yeah. Recently, we've had some uh, some really cool shows. Um, like you said, Electric Forest. We played both weekends. Um, both sets went really well, and um, and really well attended. It's cool to play these mega festivals where, you know, there's thousands and thousands of thousands of people. So it's cool about, you know, a festival like Electric Forest is there's some people that come right up front. They're Aqueous fans. We recognize them. But then there's thousands of people that have, you know, maybe never heard the name or only heard the name but don't know the music. So uh, exposure is huge with a, a festival like that. Um, and that went really well. And uh, the guys played really well. That was fun. Um, in between those weekends, we did uh, Beanstalk Festival in Bonn, Colorado, which is just in the middle of a mountain range, uh, which is really cool. The setting and location was really, really cool. Um, again, like you're in the middle of uh, of a mountain range, complete, you know, kind of like isolation from the real world a little bit, and uh, <clears throat> no one's got cell phone service either. But what's cool about that one is um, it's all in the Colorado River. And, you know, the classic, like, Coors beer train that rides along the river. Yep. Well, that's right there, too. So about 200 feet behind the stage is actually the railroad track that uh, that goes along the river. And during Aqueous set, in, a, in perfect timing, it was like it was cued, um, the train comes rolling by. And now it's nighttime, and so... Um, I take all the lights that are normally facing towards the crowd and band and I flip it all and lit the entire mountain range behind the band and then it, it worked really well. All the reflectors that were on the train and stuff, you know, were all like shining and glimmering. So that was a pretty cool moment as far as like my, my standpoint of things. Sounds cool. Go Hopefully to. you got any video? Um, there might be some video that gets uh, put out somewhere. I personally yeah. didn't get to take uh, any, but... Um, that sounds amazing. But, yeah, it, it was really cool. And then, yeah, before that, uh, we did the Bluebird Theater yep. um, back in Colorado again, and um, and that sold out, which was really big. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty good-sized theater, and, yeah, and it sold out, and they played really well, and the crowd was really into it. So to see, um, you know, the response be so good so far from home was, was, was truly felt amazing. Especially, you know, the Denver area has such you know, incredible fans for the jam band scene. So getting in there and getting some support. Pretty, yeah. A couple, awesome. a couple different people said it's the New York city of jam bands, which yeah. I, I would, I would, I agree with. I would, I would agree, agree with, with that, that too. Yeah. I go out every year and Denver, I love you. love you big time. So yeah. thanks for supporting the guys. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe we'll start uh, after that. That sounds great. We're, we're pretty excited about where Aqueous has been going. Um, 
probably we should start with what is your job title? What do you do? And kind of walk us through all of your responsibilities so everybody can kind of get to meet Ryan Bre- Ryan Bress. Sure. Um, well, I do. I do a lot. I wear a lot of hats. Um, but you know, in a, a shorter term, I am their lighting designer and director. Um, their front of house engineer, and I am the recording engineer. So, um, what I do is I run the lights. Um, I mix how how you hear the band out front, uh, front of house engineer. Um, I'm the designer and the director when it comes to lighting, so I design what the lights are going to look like ahead of time before the tour, and then I also direct them so I control them, you know, for the actual show itself. Um, and then I I record every set that we do, and I mix them down afterwards and put them on nugs.net. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I work as the band's production manager. You know, I oversee all things production related and for a while i was actually the band's tour manager as well which was too many hats um mm-hmm. and so now i'm happy to say that we have Sa- sam uh mm-hmm. how on the road with us and uh and he's now our tour manager as well as a lot of other things as well um and he's doing great he's crushing it it would not be possible without him we love sam so mm-hmm. sam shout out good job glad to have you along helping ryan lessen the load a little bit <laughs> yeah all right, that's good. So, so anything lights, it's all you. Directing, if it's design, it's all you. Yep. Cool. And then you'll see Ryan walking around. You have like a little iPad thing, right? You walk around and test the levels. I've seen you do that at shows. And- yeah, yeah. It's a nice thing with the newer digital consoles. Is, uh, is yeah, you can remotely control them with the iPad. So you know how it sounds a uh, hundred feet back is completely different than how it sounds when you're five feet in front of the band. So I'll do a couple of little tricks um, to be able to do that. So like a lot of times the guitar amps are so loud right up front that you don't need to put those in the speaker at all. So I'll just, you know, put the vocals, keyboards, and, you know, maybe a little kick drum or something like that so that so that you feel it right up front. But that's the nice thing about the, the iPad is that I can walk around the room and make sure everything's balanced so no matter where you're standing in the room, you know, you, okay. you're feeling good about it. Great. It's cool. Mm-hmm. So let's go. We'll go in. So we got a couple questions. We're gonna we're gonna go into Ryan with here real quick. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. Um, have you always been into sound and lights? Is that something you did as a as a you know growing up, or is that something newer? And do you have any school or training? So kind of tell us a little bit about your background. Ah, uh, sure. So sound and lights. Um, I've been doing it and taking it seriously for you know the past maybe four or five years, but. Um, I've always been involved in music um, somehow. So uh, when I was really young, fourth grade, my um, my parents got me into playing stand-up bass in the orchestra. Um, of course, at fourth grade, you really don't... It, I don't know. I, I was into music, but not really. And I really wanted to be more playing outside with my friends, riding bikes and all that stuff. But my both my mom and my dad were really uh, always pushing that that I would appreciate it later and that I need to, that it's going to be worth practicing and that I'll enjoy it later on. And, and sure enough, I really did. But So I always grew up playing the uh, the stand-up bass, the upright bass, um, all throughout elementary school, middle school, and in ninth grade, um, I my family, or me and my mom, moved down to the city um, where I went to performing arts for high school, which is, you know, there's like trade schools, tech schools, and stuff like that. This is a really cool school because... Um, it's you kind of major in something while you go there. So you do your regular academics, but you also do, you know, my focus was playing stand up bass. And so like 
you know, um, instead of like home and careers and stuff, you take like music theory classes and, and, you know, jazz band and stuff like that. So I grew up, um, you know, playing bass. And once I started getting into high school and stuff like that, then I started to, uh, actually take a, you know, full appreciation for, for music. And, and so from high school, I got into Villa Maria college, um, because I knew that I wanted to have, I started realizing that I definitely wanted to have music be something that was, you know, a career um, and something definitely involved with my life, but I didn't know what I wanted to go for. And I didn't want to just rely on being a rock star bass player or something on like the that. Stand-up. Yeah, on the stand up. <laughs> Always lots of money in stand up bass. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I had some other friends that were all going to Fredonia for music business. That's where I went. Oh, you went to Fredonia? Yeah, I'm Fredonia. Yeah, Fredonia yeah. grad. Nice. What'd you go for? I went for education. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Like everyone else. Yeah. Music or education. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I went for about a year at Villa Maria playing um, stand-up bass, and I wanted to get... The main focus was music business at this point. You know, I, I still appreciated the bass and, you know, wanted to have that tool and continue to use it, but I wanted to figure out what I was going to do with um, with music business in some sort and so while going there um i kind of you know started you learn about all the different fields you can get into you know artist management or you want to be a booking agent you know there's so many little fields that go into the music business um lots of them a lot more than i ever knew really existed but um yeah you start learning the different roles and uh i guess at this time um right when i was starting or yeah like i said i only went there for a year um, and towards the end of that first year, I was talking to my main, you know, music industry or music business professor. And, uh, and he, you know, he was telling me that he could tell I was really, really excited about it. I was eager. I was hungry. I want to do it. That's great. Um, but he said, the only way you're ever going to make it in the music business is if you just go out there and start doing it, get involved. And I'm sure he didn't mean it how I took it. But at the time, I took it as uh, like... Catch Stop you wasting your time in college, yeah. you know, go out there and do it. I'm sure what he meant is on the weekends, in yeah. the evening and stuff, you know. Or when you graduate. Yeah, or when you graduate, yeah. you know, that's how you got to do it. But uh, at the same time, I'm glad that it happened the way that it did uh, just because, you know, college can be really expensive. And, and you know, who knows, maybe I'll kick myself um, later for, for not having the actual piece of paper or whatever. But at the same time, what happened then is um, – I met uh, Zach Makita. He played guitar in Peanut Brittle Satellite. Okay. Um, anyways, he went to Villa Maria, and, uh, and he's like, oh, you got to meet my friend George. Joe Urge Events was his kind of thing, and he puts on the Cecil of the Weekend off, and he brings things to, you know, Nietzsche's and what was Staples at the time, now DBGB's. Um, you know, start talking with him. And so I started helping him with, like, handbills. And, um, and funny enough, one of the first handbill, like, flyers that I passed out uh, was for Jim Cotta. And I think it was either die digital or burn my money, but it's kind of funny cause later on, you know, I ended up working with them and touring with them. But, <clears throat> um, yeah, as it was starting, I was handing out handbills and stuff like that. Um, all while I was like 18 or 19. Um, so I wasn't even allowed in a lot of the shows that I was like, you know, trying to handbill, but nice. I, I would still go down to Allen street and I would hand them out and whether they wanted to let me in that night or not, you know, I was just, I wanted to be involved. I was very, ambitious and really wanted to do it um he started slowing down uh, as far as as many events as he did but he recommended that i meet these guys jeff muscolino and mike marshall who was uh who was doing m&m presents 
Um, and, and I, uh, so I met, I met, I met Mike Marshall and I said, Hey, you know, if you ever need like a kid to do posters or anything like that, let me know. And he actually was like, who's this young kid? Don't waste my time. I think, um, me and him are very good friends now, but it was funny at the time. He's like, uh, I already got a guy, you know, don't call me. I'll call you kind of thing. And, and then I was like, ah, you know, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, with, you know, where do I go next? But anyways, um, it worked out that the other partner at the time, Jeff, uh, who's also, he does, uh, Nightlights Music Festival now, but, um, he was like, Hey, you know what? You know, I see that you're hungry and ambitious. You remind me of younger me. You can start doing some of our handbills, um, and, and posters and stuff like that. And then right when that happened, they actually split up and he started a collective collective, um, and Mike continued on with Eminem, but so long story short, um, from there, you know, so I was just helping with street team handbill stuff, um, and just any opportunity I could, I'd be like, yeah, let me get involved any way I can. And so long story short, um, after a little while, uh, Mike gave me a call and he said, Hey, you know, my guy isn't really working out. I remember you reached out, you know, Jeff told me you actually do good, you know, a good job out there. So, uh, you know, you want to help me poster some of my shows. So I did. And uh, that turned into, at the time, he was booking a lot of shows at Sound Lab. I don't know if you remember that venue, but it was uh, like a little like 250 cap, just kind of rage cage of a yeah. dungeon of a basement. But it was some of the best times of my entire life. Sure. And I've got hundreds and hundreds of posters um, that I cherish very, very close to my heart. But um, And so, yeah, I would start doing posters with him. And then I started... It slowly turned into me working the door. He's like, well, hey, I kind of just need like a... It turned into me being kind of his right-hand man at all of his shows, and he would teach me about settlement and, and these different things. And so I would work the door and um, start to meet some of these really, really cool artists that now have gotten like so big, um, which is cool because I saw them in like this this small stage. But mm-hmm. so anyways, um, I, yeah, I was working at Sound Lab, did a lot of really great shows there. And then one of the shows that we ended up having there was um, the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're uh, still very close friends of mine, um, but a two-piece, you know, live electronic act. And um, and they said, hey, Ryan, you know, we noticed that you're ambitious and hungry. And, you know, if you ever want to get out of Sound Lab or something like that, let us know. We're going to New York City next weekend. And we know that you you know how a promoter works and, you know, how that whole side of it. Um, so you would make for a perfect tour manager because you realize all the things that a promoter could try to do, you know, to try to either get more money for an artist or whatever. Not that Mike was that kind of promoter and he really isn't. Um, but anyways, I said, you know, if you want to come to New York city, we got a big show there. We would love to have someone that can like help you with us and, uh, you know, can represent the band and, and all that. And I was like, Oh my God, absolutely. Cause this has now been like year and a half, two years. Um, I guess after like I started the whole college music business thing, so again I was just really really excited and looking for opportunity. Yeah, and so someone like I didn't I've never been in New York City before, so someone you know for them to be like, hey, come to New York City with us, and I, all of a sudden I was like, boom, it's the big time! Like I made yeah. it. You know? yeah, yeah, that's what it felt like. But sure. But anyways, um, so I went with them to New York City, and we did the show, and it went great. And they were like, hey, you know we would really love to have you come on the road with us as like a full-time thing. We're starting to get serious. Take this serious. If you want to like be our guy and start coming with us full-time, you can. And I was like, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. And I, you know, yes, yes, please. Um, and so shortly after they were, 
you know, starting to do some shows. They, Sean, I think how the story goes is Sean was backstage at a conspirator concert. At this time, the Disco Biscuits um, just stopped touring like consistently and were just doing like New York City, the Colorado Philly. shows. Yeah, Philly yep. and, and stuff like that. So they started slowing down and Sean met uh, Aaron Magner and Mark Brownstein backstage in Rochester. And he happened to be like pretty much like, hey, here's my demo, bro. Um, but they were just like, oh, perfect timing. Now that we're slowing down as the Disco Biscuits, we would love to take on, we're starting an artist management group. And so they, um, and when, and we'd love to pick you up. We like your stuff and let's do this. So they started, um, sorry, they started uh, managing the band. And so we got to do, you know, a couple of Camp Biscos and some of these festivals, got on a booking agency and I learned more on that. Um, but I st- still was just working as like a, a hand, you know, I would help them set up their gear. I was starting to learn the tour managing stuff, um, but still, you know, didn't really have like a technical side to anything or like, I guess the job description was tour manager, but this is before any sound or lights or anything. So, um, long story short, they had someone that was touring with us, uh, our friend Nick, they're the NGB, we call them, and he was doing projections with them. Um, but he was also like, um, all the little quick draw animations and stuff like that. He does that for New York state. So he had like, you know, quote unquote, a, a real job. Uh, um, okay. um, so anyways, he wasn't able to do the road so much and I, and I was starting to get fascinated with that kind of stuff. And so I started doing some live projections with them. I learned the software and started kind of doing that. And I started having an absolute blast with that. And, uh, and I guess at the same time that this was going on, um, Josh Holtzman, uh, the former manager of Aqueous, he just start. he, um, was now at the same phase with them. He was with Aqueous and he was tour managing them and actually working as their full manager. Um, but he said, Oh, I want to start, uh, an artist management group. And I think that it would be cool if we launched with Aqueous and the Manhattan project being the first two, you know, bands on it. And then we could pick up like, you know, another band or two each. Um, and we're, and we called that blue stream productions. Um, but like I, I said, this. yeah. So okay. like I said, now, you're getting, now you've crossed into my realm where yeah. I can, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, I skipped ahead a little bit, but long story short, um, this is before the disco biscuits got involved with the Manhattan project. So long story short, um, you know, I got involved with them, but then as soon as we were like, let's launch this thing, they were like, we're going to have the disco biscuits manage us. So I was like, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have, um, like an artist to bring on. And long story short, I, I realized at that point that booking shows, working as a promoter or man, like regular band management, not tour management just wasn't for me. Um, I had become fascinated with the whole 3d mapping, like projection type thing. Um, and I, and it was more the production side of things that caught my fancy. I related to it more. I became more passionate to it. Um, and yeah, really at that time we didn't do blue stream very long or I personally didn't. And, uh, and so, yeah, I guess with the Manhattan Project is when I started getting involved with, uh, with like lighting. Um, and so, yeah, I toured with them for, for two years, maybe three years. And, uh, and then slowly as that had been going, I'm, I'm always fascinated with everything technical that goes in with concerts. I, I just, uh, developed, you know, attention to it and, um, and just really started appreciating it. So, um, our good friend Zach Demries was on the road with us with the Manhattan Project, and same thing. He uh, was very talented. He was doing sound for uh, River Street. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it used to be, in, 
Water Street. I'm sorry, Water oh, Street. That's it. That's it. Oh, in Rochester. Yeah, in Rochester. Yep, yep. So he was doing that. Long story short, he wasn't able to go full time with the band either. And I was like, well, there's another job. I'm in. You know, I'm gonna like. I would like to learn sound. So he took me to the J Wolf Production like warehouse, and he taught me. He was the first one to ever teach me, I guess, really how to do sound. Um, and he showed me, you know, how their kind of like show file worked, or like how how they like things, and um, and so he kind of showed me how to do sound with them and just as i was starting to get like my feet wet with that um the manhattan project started to slow down on their own they don't tour anymore they both have their own awesome um projects of their own sean does hybrid beats and charlie does elevate now um but anyway so they they ended up not uh touring anymore um and at this time i was like well i know the basics of sound and stuff and so i started working at ironworks a little bit they the way that it works there is um, the people that do sound there, it's not just like one consistent guy that does every show. There's like a group of people and it's like, oh, if you're available, you kind of like put your name on the list. And then so anyways, I started learning sound um, just kind of on the fly. I guess like Zach taught me the basics and then from there I just kind of learned um, on my own and learned the hard way, fuck things up, you know, and then, you know, you learn that's kind of sometimes the best way to learn is just get thrown into the flames no doubt about it you know and so i learned the hard way if you fail once you learn from it and you don't do the same thing again yeah exactly no doubt about it um and so yeah from there um at the same time where i was starting to do sound i guess sound there and maybe i'm getting this a little bit out of order but long story short i've always really liked the town ballroom Mike Marshall that was doing the Sound Lab shows had now grown as a business himself and was booking shows at the town ballroom uh, which and I would be his right hand man there because I wasn't on the road with Manhattan Project and um, just, just so everybody knows, listen, these are all Buffalo venues. So oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know we we think the Buffalo is the whole universe around yeah. here because we love we love our city. But so this is all Buffalo venues. So all yeah. Buffalo talk. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, sorry. I apologize. So um, so yeah, the Town Ballroom is kind of the bigger venue in town, more like the thousand cap room. Um, Ironworks, an amazing room as well. Obviously, um, more like five hundred cap. But anyway, so I went into the town ballroom, um, which, you know, for me still at this time was like, oh, my God, I'm in the prestigious town ballroom. You know, all the big artists that I saw at that time, you know, whether it be the Disco Biscuits or, you know, Umphreys McGee, um, you know, Sound Tribe Sector 9, all, yeah, Mo. Yep. This is this was their venue when they came to town. So this is like, this is the big league no doubt. Uh, to me. And, um, it still kind of is. And it is. Yep. And it is. Yep. And it's, it's still, you know, my personal favorite venue in town. Same. Um, amongst, you know, plenty of others. But anyways, so I reached out to, uh, Neil, who was the production manager there, Neil Broadfear. Um, and I, and I was like, Hey, if you ever need just a guy, he's like, well, what are you, what are you, you know, like sound or lights? What are you doing? And, uh, I was like, well, I kind of know like lighting and it just happened to be right place at the right time where the girl that was the LD there, um, she developed epilepsy, which, if you're not familiar, is like a seizure disorder. Yep. So flashing lights and strobes triggers those things. Very unfortunate. But she had wow. to step down right at that time where I was like, hey, if you ever need somebody, so right place at the right time. And I was like, well, I'll give you a shot. Um, you know, and, and, and at this point, I had known absolutely nothing about lighting. Not like nothing. <laughs> and I completely faked it until I made it. And, uh, and, and again, just like thrown into the flames i had touring lds that are like you have no idea what you're doing <laughs> and but i you know I, I 
always was friendly and I was like, you know, I know I have a learning curve, but I'll, I just tried as hard as I could and I made it work. And then I learned slowly as the, you know, again, fake it till you make it is the, is the thing there. So I guess that's where the lighting started getting introduced. Um, and I was at the ballroom for about a, about a year and a half or so. Um, and then Neil actually stepped down cause he opened up the waiting room, which is another venue in Buffalo. It's now closed. He tours and does other things now, but Anyways, long story short, um, I got his role as a production manager there, and um, in about a year after being the production manager at the ballroom, um, Jim Cotta, um, Packy, uh, their drummer, he reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, we're l- Russ was doing their manager was doing our lights, but he's you know he's gonna step down from that. Would you ever think about touring again?" And at this point in my life, I. I was extremely happy to be working at the town ballroom. This is, you know, it's really great. Um, but I was like, you know what? I kind of miss, I miss touring. I miss being on the road. And I want, you know what? Yeah. You know, screw it. Fuck it. Let's do it. And, um, and so I went on tour with Jim Cotta and I was doing their sound and lights, um, at the same time, kind of, um, for a little while. And then my good friend Gucci Greg took over. So long story short, um, at that point, when I started working with Jim Cotta, because as a house LD, you know, you kind of like run the same lighting rig, and it was real basic at the time. It was real basic controller. So my limit of learning had been reached at the ballroom as far as, you know, like learning to be a lighting director. And, you know, there's some cool parts about being a house lighting director as um, you see a different production come in every night. So I would see guys light metal. I would see guys light, you know, jazz. I would see them light, you know, rock. All the different aspects. I would, and so it was kind of cool because I learned a broader a, spectrum. Yeah, yeah, a broader spectrum on how to, you know, how to approach different, yeah. you know, styles, yeah. which I think has really helped me now too. Because like a band like Aqueous, they don't just, you know, they're all they, they can be they all over everything. the place. All of a, all of a sudden, they'd be cool and jazzy and chill, or you know, rocking in your face and stuff. So I kind of like, yeah. I learned different little tricks that kind of help with uh with lighting them but so anyways once i started with jim Cotta, um russ had um you know the board he he has the grand ma um but what was cool about this grand ma lighting console is that it was made by luke stratton who is uh dope pods lighting director and amongst uh lighting a lot of other really cool stuff luke's absolutely killing it right now so long story short um the grand ma is a really cool sophisticated lighting software that opened the door to like really understanding lighting and it makes it easier for me to roll into different venues and like adapt in their lighting and you know integrate their lighting into my lighting and so long story short I did a lesson with Luke he taught me the Grand MA um, and a couple other like cool lighting tricks and from there I I really dove into like lighting full-time now this is like when I really got into really appreciating understanding um, how, how like bigger lighting systems work because, you know, Chris Carota with fish, he uses the Grand MA waffle with Humphreys, he uses the Grand MA. And so I started realizing like, Oh, this is how they pull this off. This is how they do these tricks. And, uh, and so, yeah, I really started studying, um, how they were lighting Humphreys McGee, you know, waffle was lighting Humphreys, fish was writing Carota, and I would start applying those things. And so the Grand MA is really when it like opened up. Yeah. Uh, to like really diving into lighting full time 
And so, yeah, I toured with Jim Cotta for a little over a year, I think like a year and a half. Um, and then they decided that they were going to uh, stop touring and they did their announce. And ironically, like two months before they announced that they weren't going to tour anymore, my Ganser reached out to me and um, said, hey, you know, if you ever became available, please let us know. Because I've, I, at this point, um, I lit the Buffalo Music Festival a couple times and... Uh, and like here or there, I might have let them, you know, just happen to be the guy that I, think I, I remember that I was you there. doing a show at Ballroom, maybe, or no, or um, I, I mean, at uh, I'm sorry, at Ironworks, I think, right? Maybe. You know what? Beer? I was I was involved with with one. Oh, I helped. Okay. They did the the Halloween shows. Yeah. I think one was like Wizard of Oz, and one was Back to the Future. That's right. And so yeah, I helped. Um, I helped them figure out a stage idea where I I loaned them my projector, and we did the cool thing where you know the intro to. Uh, Back to the Future, where he's got the guitar pick, yep. and you know, it blows out the big speaker. Yep. That's how they like started the show, and so yeah, I helped them kind of with some ideas. My okay. friend Craig lit that show specifically, but yeah. So long story short, I um, I helped light. Or Mike reached out to me and you know mm-hmm. asked if I if I ever became available. You know, would I would I be able to uh, to go with them? And so it, it just worked out where. Ironically, two months later, they're like, "We're gonna stop touring," and I was like, "Hey, available!" <laughs> and so that's kind of how I got involved with Aqueous, and that was kind of a long, a long story. But that's um, that is where I came from, and and how I got, I guess, into the scene in general, and then how I got into lighting and sound and production on its own. So yeah, a lot of it, the training with Grand MA, I learned from Luke Stratton. Um, but other than that, a lot of my stuff has all been self-taught. Um, and again, learning the hard way and, you know, just applying, applying it. And here we are. So that so I think you got into Aquas right around the time time Rob did, correct? That is correct. Okay, so that's what about two years now? Yeah, close. Man. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, February second of last year was my first show, which is kind of a okay. funny funny story. A year and a half. Yeah, yeah. I guess okay. about a year and a half. Okay, and uh, that's kind of like a funny story too that I'll tell real quick. Is so. Um, I, I was pretty much just doing lighting for Gymkata for the majority of it. I didn't do their sound and lights for a long time because um, that, that is tough, and I can go into that a little bit later. But um, So long story short, um, at this time, they just met or Rob had been working with them for just a couple of months or so, um, but they also just started working with a new management company, Plexus Management. Um, you know, and, uh, and so long story short, 
our, our first show together, they were opening for the Disco Biscuits at the Fillmore in, in Philadelphia, which is still one of like the bigger shows that we that we've played. That was a huge show, hometown throwdown for the Disco Biscuits, yeah. and um, and so we showed up at the venue, and they were like, oh, you know, Biscuits are, you know, this is the first night of the run. They're taking a little bit longer to sound check. You you'll have about, you know, thirty seconds to sound check, and then you know you got to be ready to hit it. And I was so nervous because, like, I'd never, I'd never worked with the band before. They came here to my studio, and we kind of, like, helped dial in my soundboard so that if that didn't happen, I probably would have been a lot more embarrassing. But um, and, but luckily, I, I pulled it off, and they were like, okay, we need a live stream. We need this to sound great. You know, this is a big deal. And it was the most nerve-wracking thing. But I guess, again, the best way to get into something is just get thrown into the yeah, wolves, man. and then it only gets easier from there. Jeez. So. So that was the first show, and so yeah, I've been there um, just a little bit longer, or just a little after Rob got involved, and um, and, and it's going good. So yeah, that was a good kind of kind of cool that you guys kind of came in together, and it's kind of you know I we've you know we talked in some of the other the other interviews with the guys that you know that you've been a big a big help. You know, the, getting the sound right has been very good for them to open up jamming. You know, to have the sound right, what they want to hear. And it's really gonna free things up for them to go into jams where they want to go. So, you know, I know that they've have said that to me many times, whether it's been on the podcast or just on the side. That you know, as as important as Rob has been, you came at the right time, and you know, things have skyrocketed since the two of you came on board. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, uh, like you said, the comfort zone, um, and uh, and yeah, it's it's cool because it's also. You know, I, I've definitely noticed, um, obviously there's been a tremendous growth with Aqueous in this, you know, past year and a half. And it's not just because I, I came on board or anything. The guys all individually have like stepped it up in overdrive sure. to make the whole project as a whole. But it is it is cool um, to, to see that progress because we all kind of, once I started with them, we like we were all on the same page where we've had touring experience. We've been around, we've, you know try to master our own craft you know for for a while now but like once i met them or once i started working with them and and not that i wasn't like you know full-blown in it with um jim kata but you know just the um the energy that they like were ready to put forth that like supercharged me where i'm like i'm you know yeah you guys are putting in 110 percent. i want to put in 110 percent and uh and just the you know the quality of the shows and everything has just really gone up, especially just from the first show to where you know it is now. Um, it's been an amazing, amazing ride, and uh, and yeah, it's been cool getting involved with them. and And I think they've said it on their on their own, you know, maybe not on the podcast, but to me too, where where we 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 feel each other out and we vibe each other out, and um, and so yeah, I can t- one I know their their material um, well now. Um, but yeah, I can feel when it's going into a jam section that was not announced, you know, beforehand, but you know, we, we kind of connect, um, then yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel, it feels good. Like I've, you know, lighting a band is always like you're involved as like a member, you know, you need to know the material, you need to know the parts, the changes and stuff like that. Um, but with them, it's really cool because, you know, improv is introduced. Jim Cotta, you know, a lot of it um is played pretty straightforward they have they have jam sections and stuff too um but with aqueous they're you know it's really like you you, ne- you need to know their material but you need to know how they jam and it's cool to see like i love 
going in and coming out of the jam and just just how a musician looks on stage you know when they're they're playing their their part the choruses are like verses or whatever straightforward um and they have like eye contact with the crowd when you go into the jams it's cool because you know i like to put them down their front lighting down a little bit so it gives like their eyes a rest and i'll like start you know sculpting some things on the back wall or anything but i wouldn't trade or like i guess you can't you couldn't ever put like a a price tag on on that feeling of when we all get into a jam together and everyone you kind of just forget that everyone else is there you know that important people are watching or you know there's this many people here and everything else and it's just like that moment where all the hard work and grind that you do before like all that stuff doesn't matter and you're just kind of like you know we're all just kind of like floating in this headspace kind of thing and and again I guess uh, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate that and that I absolutely love it because I again you can't put a price tag on that and for me it's like it's fulfilling it gives me it gives my whole life meaning in a way I don't you know maybe that sounds maybe that sounds silly or hippie or something like I that I don't but, think that sounds crazy at all I but, think from our fan side you know if you're listening to this aqueous podcast we're into it like you man and yeah. I mean just as a fan I lose control and you drift mm-hmm. off and that's the magic and that's why we go to shows and that's why improv you know, you're into jam bands, you're into jam bands for a reason. You go see another act that doesn't have that and, you know, just plays everything composed and straightforward. It kind of bores you because the magic is in the improv. So it's awesome to hear you say that. And I think, you know, especially with the guys, you know, I know the guys pretty good. Um, obviously not as well as you, but I know even in, you know, the five or six years that I've known them, just who they are, the goofiness and good people that they are. You know, I can hear that in the music and and when I watch them on stage, all that who they are comes through a lot. So I think that probably for you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, spending all that time on the road and like you said, all the hard work, learning the material and doing all that, you can read their personalities on stage and how that goes into jams, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, our- like, I feel like more than a lot of bands that I'm into, I their personality comes through a lot. Like Definitely. just who they are. Yep. Yeah, you can see that with with almost every artist, um, and yeah, with them it definitely shows too. Because you know, music or art in general is an expression of oneself, you know, and that's the way they lay it out. You know, I I can see, yeah, and you, you just feel it, you hear it, you see it. It's it's all everyone expressing themselves, mm-hmm. you know. And if uh, if someone's having a bad day, not that we really do, because because to be honest, we get along extremely well, and you have to because. Um, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time yeah. and close quarters, you yeah. know, sleeping in the same beds. Or, and you're know. all tired and... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone has their, you know, cranky moments or whatever. But at the end of the day, we all get along really well. Everyone's patient and cool and, you know, calm and collective. And and I got to say that I appreciate the hell out of that because if it wasn't, then it just wouldn't work. Because nope. like I said, being in a band with another person is just like a, a girlfriend or, you know, for a lot, for a lot of people touring, you know, you spend more time with these people than your own significant other sometimes. Um, probably a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you need to, you need to be able to communicate, you know, you need to be, it's, it's just, it's a working relationship just like a marriage or anything like that. And the fact that the guys are all such good and, you know, good hearted people individually, it makes it so that it's fun. It makes it so that it's enjoyable, and uh, and so yeah, I I'm not sure what, what question we went from. So, from no, there, you're but. good. No, that's that's some good stuff.
So I guess I'll just tee off of what you said. I can give you a moment, um, and I know you and I talked about it, but um, you did these rope lights um, with the giant bulbs at the uh, Rochester show in Erie. Anywhere else, or was it just those, or did you do it in Ithaca too? Or I think, that, yeah, Ithaca okay. too. You uh-huh. didn't bring those on like the West Coast tour, right? No. Okay. Mm-mm. So maybe talk just talk about those a little bit, and then I'll kind of show you, share the moment Um with you real quick so just tell me tell everybody that didn't get to go to those shows what those were and you know how they worked sure so what those are is um kind of a tease of what's going to be happening next so better yeah so um we have aqueous has a new um album coming out um soon and so with a new tour comes a new stage design you know you always want to keep things fresh um you know and so i'm currently in the process of working on the new design and with those pixel well they're so they're pixels individual so uh if you know for those not familiar think of like um they're called like festoons or yeah they're a string of lights just like a christmas light or something like that but what's cool about these is each individual light on this strand is controllable um and so if you think of a television you know people say like 1080 um, you know, by 780 or whatever, they're talking about the pixel size on a television. So those are all those little dots that make up a whole image, you know, pixels. And so what those are, are um, a really cool product by Volt Vision, um, who, is, uh, who is Steve French, who, if you've ever been in the Night Lights Music Festival here in New York, um, he does a lot of the woods lighting and the interactive woods lighting. And I met him at Night Lights and... Um, and it was really fast because he's an electric electric engineer. So I know lighting and stuff like that, but he knows really the ins and outs of sure. of like all the different components that go into it. And so I just started collaborating with with him. Um, and so we're working on a new design, and I won't talk too much about it because I want it to be a big reveal when it does happen. But pretty much those are those pixel strands are going to be involved. Not how they were hanging for those shows, but long story short, what's cool about those is again, it's um, it's a bunch of little little pixels, if you will. You know, we call them the pixel balls. And so, what's cool with that is with like regular traditional moving lights, you know, like like uh, an LED park can or like what you know you call a wash or whatever, you can control red, green, and blue the color of it, you know, on and off. Or like a moving light, you can control different shapes and the direction that you point it. What's cool with these is there's a bunch, and so, like, say my lighting rig is usually, like, you know, 18 fixtures, you know, 18 different lights. Um, with those, now I have hundreds of little lights. And so going back to the the fact that they're pixel balls, what's cool about that 
is you think of a television screen again. It's got all of these little pixels in it. So what I can do with a Granime is what's called pixel mapping or bit mapping. And what I can do is run low resolution video content. I, c I can take all of those lights and pretty much say this is my screen. So now instead of like 1080, you know, 1080 pixels, now I have like 50 wide by 100 wide. So like low res television is really kind of what's going on, mm -hmm. you know, for layman's terms. And what I can do is run these like real low resolution video, you know, clips over that. And so it you can't really tell when they're like hung or something like that. And with the new design, you'll be able, you know, without giving away, you'll be able to tell what that imagery is a little bit more, the new way that I'm going to be lining out. But yeah, what's cool about those is it was me taking them on a test run. The Rochester Erie Ithaca shows were me getting my feet wet with those. Um, and I'm having an absolute blast with them. And uh, yeah, again, without saying too much, um, when the new design comes out, there's there's a lot of cool things that I've advanced in my programming styles and what I can do with lighting because every band is touring with moving lights. Every band's touring with regular washes. You know, um, there's, you know, only so many lighting fixtures that exist and there's only, and everything's limited to what you can do with them. So what I want to do is, uh, you know, everyone just always wants to raise the bar. Again, Aqueous is a band that as musicians put in a hundred and thousand percent every time they're always raising the bar with their own music and i just always want to be equally matched with them so i was saying earlier when i started with them to where we are now we all kind of like i felt like we're evenly matched with our um amount of like effort that we were putting in in this past year and a half since i've been working with them it's just been like to the roof it's just right now is go time and i try to match that so with this uh this next tour they're going to release a new album with a lot of content that people haven't heard, as Mike said. Um, and I'm going to be releasing a new lighting show that hopefully, you know, that no one's like really seen. Awesome. Um, and just like their tunes, they've like, I think they've tested out, you know, like a song or two. But for the most part, the whole CD is um, completely unheard. And so that's kind of the same thing. I gave the crowd a little tease. I let my feet get wet, see yeah. the reaction to it. Um, but I think people really liked it. And so it's going to be integrated in the new stage design. I could tell you, so my moment. So I was at the Rochester and the Erie shows, and it was super cool. We talked a little bit, uh, Ryan and I, in Rochester, because it's something different. And that stage um, at Flower City is super small. So there's not a lot of work. So it was a brilliant, you know, the way that I, I've been to many, many shows, even went back when it was Milestones, and you just can't do much in, in such a small space. So the, the lights, just so you can kind of get a picture at home, are kind of hung. And they kind of drooped down a little bit. So it, it made space or made work in that space. And it was awesome. So it's like the only kind of cool lighting thing I've ever seen there. Um, but then in Erie, that's when I had the moment. So I remember it specific. I took a video of it. It was during Numbers and Facts. And if you listen back on that show, it gets, I mean, it's an amazing jam. And it gets very heavy and like jammy, tronica, and almost rave. And Ryan had those lights moving, and it was unbelievable. Like, I was blown away. I just sat there in awe just looking at it. And that's not even my style of music too much, but it matched with the lights, and it was it was awesome. So I am very excited to see where that's going to go, and you killed it there. So be pumped. People listening at home that haven't seen them yet, I'm telling you, they're super cool. So. I will say, as a, a lighting director and, you know, as someone that's done, you know, lit a couple hundred shows, um, 
that numbers and facts jam specifically was my favorite one. Yeah. Um, so okay, it wasn't maybe just it's me. not musically. Maybe, I think it was just the whole thing. Like it was at this awesome. point, it had been like the pinnacle now of what I can do with these. Like I had gotten a couple shows, or you know, I I had a show in that I you know got familiar. And now I know how to like feel them out because the whole thing. Um, you know, with with this lighting console, what's what's cool is without getting too technical and losing people, um, a lot of standard lighting consoles have you know uh, x amount of faders that you can pull up you know different looks with or you know control different chases with. What's cool about um, with Luke's design and his take on the Grand Ame is that um, I have a I have kind of endless amounts of buttons that I can play with. Um, and so, yeah, I guess a lot of, uh, a lot of traditional, you know, like lighting designers, they listen to a show or they listen to a song and they write different cues, different, like different looks with the lights that you use for different parts of the song. And they can kind of like literally just press go and then it runs with the song. But with Aqueous, you can't do that because the songs are never played the same. Um, you know, they have their, their, you know, their choruses or whatever the verses that are standard, but all the jams are different. So what's cool about my lighting console, and if you ever see it at a show, um, you'll see there's. it seems like there's a zillion buttons and stuff. And to someone just walking up to it, it seems you know maybe confusing, but because I've spent so much time with it, I programmed every single one of those buttons, and I know what every single button does. And so what that does is opens the floor for me to to be able to jam with them or improv with them with everything that I need at my fingertips. So again, like a lot of people would program a whole song just on one fader and, you know, they could just press go and go through like chorus, verse, chorus, verse, or jam or whatever. But what I can do is all those little bits of information that would go into one big cue stack for a song. I have just a bunch of little buttons with a bunch of little bits of information. So I, I can kind of improv with them um, because yeah, like I said, instead of just like, pulling up one fader and just having to go for the song i'm live always doing something with them and with their song which is which is cool i'm not the only one that uses luke setup i'm not the only one that does that but um it's different than than a lot of people so i figured that'd be something interesting to share is that i just like the band never plays a song the exact same and never will I never light a show the ex- exact same and never will. And I and then just like I said, there's there's choruses, there's verses that I I have you know like half in and half out, or, you know half in half out. For instance, I use that that chorus and I light that the same way where I'll punch in the lighting rig. You know, like half of the lighting rig is red and then half of the lighting rig is yellow. And I have like parts that I've found that I really like for certain things that I reuse. But for the most part, because nothing is kind of like pre-recorded like that nothing gets lit the same and i and again i just always try to match the band um in the sense that they'll never play the song the same so i never light the song the same i guess yeah and i think that's a pretty common way to do it i know just off the top of my head cuz i'm you know obviously if you know me i'm a huge fish guy you know Kurod always lights the composed part of maze the same so the way he he does the searchlights in that, so mm-hmm. it's good to have that. And that in it, and as a fan, I like a little familiarity. So like things sure. that are super cool, like I get excited to see that again. So you yeah. know, same thing when I ever go see Maze, I'm always I'm pumped and I like love that. So yeah. yeah, I think that's cool. So let's maybe walk us through. So you're on the road a lot, and when you walk into a venue and you come into all these different theaters, kind of walk us through maybe um, what your day looks like. 
Sure. Um, so the road is very busy, very, very busy, and there's hardly any downtime, I guess. So um, typically uh, the day in general starts with finishing the drive from wherever we were coming from last time. Um, you know, typically like after a show, we pack up the trailer and then we drive like an hour or two towards the next place because it could be like six, seven, eight, nine hours away. Um, and you got to be there at three o'clock in the afternoon the next day for a load in. So, you know, some of your shows you're getting done at two, three in the morning. Yeah, exactly. Packing up, going to the hotel, um, you know, get there hopefully by like four if you're lucky, but sometimes five you know, in the morning and then waking up at, you know, sometimes nine again or, you know, 10 in the morning and finishing off the rest of that drive. Um, so it starts with usually a long drive to get to the venue. And then, um, and then, yeah, so we get to the next venue and we do load in. Um, again, this is where Sam is such a crucial part of being on the road with us because he is everybody's right-hand man. He's not just my right-hand man, but he's, he's everybody's right-hand man. Um, so anyways, Typically what happens is um, we get to a venue and, and there's local people that help, you know, like build and stuff. But at the same time, they don't know like our system I and mean, you advance it or whatever. But long story short, um, we get to the venue and typically what will happen is um, I start right away with building the lighting rig. Um, and How long does that take usually, you think? Um, well, we got a good system for it with, with every design that we go out with. Um, Everything's got like a system, so like cables are already kind of like pre-wrapped together, made in looms, um, so that everything can go up faster. But typically, lighting build takes like an hour and a half or an hour, depending on the venue. Um, and all everything has to be organized, and that's like a big part of my job as their production manager is make the most organized, practical way of getting to a venue. So that way, if something doesn't work, something's not working that day, um, you have time to troubleshoot it and stuff. So you know, typically if doors are at like seven o'clock, we'll do load in at like three o'clock. And from like, yeah, we'll say from like three, we'll schedule that from three to five is lighting build. Even though it'll, it'll only take an hour or an hour and a half, you leave time for uh-ohs, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, typically I'll build, start building the lighting rig, um, with one of the house, uh, you know, the house lighting guy. Um, and then the band will build their own backline, meaning their instruments, you know, guitar amps, drum set, whatnot. And Sam assists, um, depending on, you know, it changes around a little bit, but Sam usually goes in to help um, doing all the microphones, patching all the cables and stuff like that um, while I build the lighting ring. And then hopefully if everything goes well, um, at the time that I turn on the lights and lights are working, you know, Sam can be like, okay, you know, audio is good to go. Um, and so, yeah, typically it starts with me building the lighting while they build audio and um, in backline. And then I go to front of house and I set up my audio console and set up my lighting console. And then we do sound check. Um, it's nice because we travel. I, tr- I own a lighting. Or I mean, I, I own my own audio console. So the guys use in-ear monitors, which if you're not familiar with, instead of like having a wedge in front of you, because you need to hear each other on stage, um, but we use in-ear monitors, and because I have my own my own console, a lot of those settings and how their ears, their how they monitor themselves on the in-ears is already kind of like pre-dialed in, which is really huge for festivals, because on a typical, it changes, like, you know, a club show, you get hours to be comfortable, set up feel good do your thing really dial everything in you know doors open you get this whole time but like festival season you get 
typically it's half hour changeover, which I absolutely hate. <laughs> yeah. And uh and because it's just like and go and you just yeah. have to let you know, yeah, that's where organization and and just really being on point, you know, comes in. Um and so anyways, yeah, so for a club show that's typically how it goes. Lighting gets built, uh sound gets built, we do a sound check and then we get a little bit of downtime while the support band sound checks, they do their set and then we go um and do our set. Um, but yeah, with festivals, um, a lot of that, that work has to be done kind of like ahead of time where you prep your microphones or like the festival has microphones and it all just depends on how much time you have and you know, how much time there is in between bands that changeover period. Um, they just kind of like prep that stuff so that, you know, yeah, when you have that little window, there's a lot of moving parts that are all going on at the same time. But as long as you stay organized and as long as everyone knows their role and it's, you know, this is how we're going to do this. Um, then it can happen. Nice. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. So recently, um, you were on tour with Unfreeze. Um, what was that? Probably six, seven shows, five, somewhere in there. Somewhere, yeah. Somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, we did. A good and I, you know, off, off the show here, we talked about, um, so I thought maybe this would be a good opportunity for everybody to hear it is talk about, you know, their production. I know you were pretty impressed with it and, you know, working with those guys and, you know, maybe what you got out of it or, you know, and as the band, maybe talk about, you know, what that's kind of a cool little behind the scenes. So, you know, talk about what that was like, you know, touring with Umphreys. Yeah, well, it's it's really cool. Um, I've always had tons of respect for Umphreys McGee, uh, not just because I had a blast going to the shows and seeing it, but um, obviously Waffle, their lighting director, um, is very talented at what he does. And, and so it's cool because... Every single person that works in their crew is an absolute, like, you know, either a wizard or a Jedi, you know, whatever you want to call it. They're, they are a master of their craft. Um, and so Chris Mitchell, their front of house engineer, is extremely talented, extremely, extremely talented. And every show that we would do, I would learn something new from each one of the crew members because even though they have, like, a crew of, like, ten me and Sam split that crew of 10 by two. So there's a lot of like little things that go in that, you know, we like, Oh, that's how you make that easier. Oh, that's how you make that easier. Oh, I like how they do that because they've been doing it, you know, twice, three times as long as we have. Um, and so, yeah, like uh, again, Chris Mitchell, Humphrey's front of house engineer, their sound guy, if you will, is, is really talented, but also super informative and friendly. And their entire crew is very welcoming they're so kind. They're just accommodating. They want you to have the best show while you're doing it with them, just like their fans. You can tell their whole experience, like snow cone and headphones. You know, if you're not familiar, they can give you the wireless headphones to go enjoy the show and like hear Chris's like what he hears in his headphones. Um, and so, long story short, they the way that they treat their fans is the same way they treat their you know their opening band. Um, which is nothing but the kindest. Um, and so, yeah, Chris has taught me a bunch of different things with how I can make my mix for Aqueous sound better. Um, and he, he'll, you know, he has endorsements with like these super high-end microphones, these Earthwork microphone, and he'll just like toss me this like twenty-five hundred dollar microphone, like one microphone, just be like, "Oh, here, try this on Mike's guitar today. Let me know what you think." And just so they're they're just super, super again kind and accommodating and, and class and class. Yep, yeah. but. They're also like not business first in like a sense that you know like like a, a suit business, but like they take care of their job. Like they are professional as they come, and so uh, 
yeah, again, I just, I, every show that we did, I learned, again, I'm just someone that always tries to pick up and learn new things and apply it to my own thing to try to master my craft. That's what we're all out here trying to do. And so, yeah, I would learn a lot from Chris, um, watching Waffle, and but being able to like really sit there and, and watch Waffle um, has, has been really cool. I would be a liar if I didn't say I used tons and tons of things out of his playbook. Um, you know, I watch what he does, and I'm like, that's great. And, and the way that, you know, Umphreys plays and the way that you would light Umphreys is similar. You know, a lot of people, you know, will tell you that that Aqueous, you know, obviously takes things from, from their playbook or they, you know, they're, they're influenced by them, I should say. Um, and so just like they get influenced by Jake and Joel and all them, I get influenced by Chris and, sure. and all them. So, uh, yeah, I got to learn a lot from, you know, their whole crew, from stage management to monitors to just every little thing. And then it's funny, they have <laughs> they have Robbie, Rob, and Bobby are like three of the crew guys, um, which I, I for some reason always crack me up, <laughs> all, all the Bobbies. But, um, you know, every just, again, I can't say – how much I appreciate every show that we did with them because I got to take so much from it and apply it to what I do now. And there's tons of lessons. A lot of people, you know, it, it kind of goes back to how I learned to do what I do. And a lot of people go to school and get trade, you know, get taught their trade from one specific mentor or something like that. But, you know, in this industry, you know, you can go to college for lighting. You can, but, um, it's these little life lessons in you know show learning, lessons you're learning from the best yeah and yeah. i'm learning from the best and uh and you know it's 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 cool I, I learned a lot from it and i really appreciated the hell out of it and uh and i hope we get to do more in the future it was good because uh you know i can tell you from the fan base side we got a bunch of umphrey fans to come to aqueous and you know join the we have that big acquaintances facebook page i mean they came in the drove so a lot of the umphrey's fans it was a natural transition to get into aqueous so a great tour from the fan side. We picked up a lot of people supporting Aquas and all the guys, you know, not just Ryan, you know, the, all the band members said how productive that was to, you know, learn and see how that rolls. So that was a pretty cool little five gig uh, thing that you guys did together. So let's talk about, um, so maybe we'll walk um, through one, maybe one last thing here. And um, so you record the show and then you got to get it up to Nugs, which is, you know, on my side, my favorite thing when that pops up and I got my whole internet crew, shout out to everybody there that hits me up uh, on Twitter and we're all pumped when it comes out. We break it down. So what's the, what's the process from taking the show, recording it and getting it uploaded to Nugs and kind of walk us through that? Uh, sure. So... Nugs is really great. One, just as a user, if I had nothing to do with Aqueous, I love Nugs. It's Same. so great. I think everyone should have uh, you know, a subscription to it. Um, so, yeah, with that process, what happens is, um, again, I for most shows, sometimes festivals, I have to use different consoles and, and whatnot. But um, for most shows, I have my, my console that I tour with. And with that, I have the ability to take 
every channel that the band's using, which means, you know, so with a, with a whole stage thing, you know, just to, to dumb it down for a second, there's a bunch of different channels on stage. Um, you know, kick drum has two microphones and a snare drum has two microphones and each tom has its own microphone. These are all called channels. And so with, uh, with Aqueous, what I can do with my console is I can do what's called multi-tracking. And that's where I record all of those channels individually. Um, How many do you think there are? Actually, if I look over, I can tell you that, okay. that exact number. Aqueous is 26 channels currently. 26 channels. <laughs> um, and yeah, so... That would be a cool song name, 26, 26 channels. 26 channels. I love it. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, so yeah, what happens is I can record all of those channels individually. And it's it doesn't have to be done like this, multi-tracked. Um, but what's nice about that is I can sometimes create even like a higher quality of the show. So venue to venue, like you said, we play in Rochester where the stage is really small. Or we play Bluebird Theater where the stage is huge. That spacing in between the band is night and day difference. Yeah. How I can make a show hmm. quality come out. And so if you think about it, so, you know, like Dave sings into a microphone and he sings at his vocal volume. You know, he's not screaming, you know, he, you know, he's unless he's singing some, Slayer or unless, something. Yeah, unless he's singing Slayer, <laughs> which I hope comes up. Um but so but then Rob's like four feet from him and in Rochester he's like less than two feet from him. Yeah. Smash Hulk fucking <laughs> Hulk smashing the Hulk shit smash, out of yeah. out of symbols and that's coming in way, way, way louder than you know Dave's naturally singing. Mm. Um, so me being able to multi-track, what happens with that is I get to individually control how I EQ things. And if you're not familiar with EQing, it's just like shaping the sound of it. So you know Dave's vocal range is going to be a little bit different than how that cymbal is crashing. So what I can do is listen in, and I and you know I use uh, Ableton um, Nine as a software that I use. I can get um, what's called a spectrograph or the EQ, I can see what frequencies that symbol's crashing at. And then with Dave's microphone channel, I can scoop those out so that even though that's pushing so much louder than his vocal, I can kind of play around with those different settings and be able to make more consistent tracks because I always want it to come out. You know, once you set a quality of something, you never want to go down. And this is that. all post. So this recording. is all post. Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, you know, without nerding out too much that... No, this is good. It's good. Yeah. That gives me the ability to, um, again, just make shows consistent in the quality. When you go to a place like the Bluebird Theater where, you know, it's spaced out, you get a little bit more... You don't have to worry about being more so the meticulous sound, stuff. Right? Yeah. yeah, where... Where, like, a lot of people, you know, they they know the term board feed, where, you know, you take, like, the left, right, whatever I'm sending to the main PA. And that's what, like, Chris will do with Umphreys McGee. He just takes the left, right, whatever he was sending to the PA that day. So he's able to, like, snip that out. But Umphreys isn't playing at, you know, at these little venues. They, they're they usually more spaced out or they, you know, he's also, again, just a wizard. So and dialed what he, in. Yeah, so what he has dialed in is, is also really tight. Um, but again, so I multi-track every show. The, going back to the process, I multi-track every show, and um, and I have like I have with Ableton, just like you have the settings on the audio console for the ears. I have settings in Ableton so that I can drop 
my tracks in and my channels and things like basic EQs or compression or like different things that you would use to manipulate the audio. Those things are kind of already in there. So if I have the time, when I get the time to do it, um, I can help expedite that process because again, it's all about learning from past shows and making it better for the next show. So anyways, I have kind of presets in my computer there that I can um, make the shows get busted out a little quicker. Um, but again, the the thing that I want to mention to the fans at home, because a lot of everyone's excited and, and if it, in a perfect world, if we were on the tour bus level, then after the show, I could go comfortable to my tour bus and, you know, mix the show and have it out the same night or the next morning. Wait, no. you're not on a tour bus <laughs> for everybody at home? Yeah. Uh, not yet. Hopefully soon. <laughs> but uh, at this time, I'm not. So really, um, again, our days are so hectic, you know, and, and as soon as I finish packing up the show and I press stop on the record button, I'm going right to breaking down my lighting rig, breaking down all the audio, Sam, packing the trailer, getting to the hotel hopefully by four or five in the morning, and then waking up at 11 in the morning. Now, I and want doing it again. Yeah, and do and just going to yep. set up to press record on the next one. So Unfortunately, what happens with that sometimes is, you know, a couple days, you know, a week, depending on how crazy the schedule is, you know, I um, I don't always get to do it like right away, which I wish I could, but I do always make the absolute effort that the first moment I have free to do it, I'm right there. So, you know, a lot of people get out of work, the last thing they want to do is go to work, but it's a passion of mine, and I want always, I always want the fans um, to be happy, and, you know, I re- no one wants to wait, you know, they always, they always want it, including myself. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's just the moment that I have free to do it, it gets done. Um, and so if there's anyone out there that doubts it, that's, you know, that is the truth is, um, and, and I'll go as far as while we're traveling to that next city, while I'm groggy in the morning, the next day I'm in the van with headphones in mixing it down. So when we get to the venue the next day, I can upload it, but it's not always as easy as that either. Not that that's easy. Um, but we, I'm always limited by by Wi-Fi too, so a lot of these shows, um, you know, it's a big whole show. Or if it's a two set, then it's, or you're placing Beanstalk in Colorado with no there's with no, no cell service, phone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we're flying, and you know, like by yeah. the time I'm actually sitting in Wi-Fi for the you know three to four hours that it takes to upload, that needs to be there needs to be that whole window for that to happen. So even if I mix a show the next day. Not every venue is going to give me, like, you know, the most solid, quick Wi-Fi speed. And if it doesn't, if, like, let's say we go to a hotel and that hotel doesn't have super high-speed internet, the show will go up messed up. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll go up and things won't, like, it'll be missing information because the internet was slow. So even though it's, like, it says done, there's, there's, like, little bits of data that don't go up with it. And so instead of, like, having things go up and then get taken down or stuff like that, what I do is... Just as soon as the time's available, I do it. And, you know, sometimes that means once, like, a run is over, I do it in the comfort of my studio here where I know I have high-speed internet, quality internet, and it can go up and it can, you know... Because the last thing I want to do, again, is just, like, have it go up and it's like, oh, tease people. Everyone's like, it's out! And then it's like, oh, wait, no, I got to change this or something like that. Um, so, yeah, in, in, in a nutshell, that process is, you know, me taking and multi-tracking it and then and then mixing it down and then um, finding the time and the internet speed to to get it up to nugs. Um, but all that all that said, I absolutely love it, and it's amazing because just like everyone else, fans that um, that listen to the show, you're there and you're intently listening. But there's so much that goes on 
no matter if you're stone cold sober, or, you know, had a couple of beers or whatever, um, you don't remember everything that happens. And so I absolutely love the fact that I get to relive that. So every single Aqueous show since, you know, February 2nd of 2017, I've heard every show twice. Um, and sometimes three times because sure. even though I hear the band all the time, um, I genuinely love them, <laughs> love the band yes. and, uh, and I listen to them on my own and I, you know, I, I re-listen to my own Nugs recording, just part of its quality control because I'll listen to it in the studio with like studio monitors or like nice headphones, but I got to make sure it also translates to my car stereo. So most shows that I've put out, which is over a hundred shows, um, I've listened to like three times, but I, I always find new things. And that's kind of like the magic of the band. Um, you know, maybe jam bands in general, but is that you get to re-listen and relive and you're like, Oh my God, this got so sick. That numbers and facts jam that I said was like my favorite thing yeah. to listen to. I still listen to it like and all it the puts time you back in time. Yeah. It and does. you get to relive it. And I'm very appreciative that the whole platform of nugs exists and it's, uh, and it's great. And so, yeah, it's, that's, that's, uh, so, so what we're going to take away from this, and for anybody that ever gives Ryan any crap about <laughs> the show's not up, there you go. He's working his friggin' ass off. So cut the guy some slack. <laughs> Listen, many there's a lot of younger fans in the Aqueous group. I'm a little bit older. I existed in a day when I had to go somewhere to make a tape trade that was so poor in quality because they've been re-recorded a hundred times and you you judged your tape <laughs> on the number version it was re, you know re, redubbed on mm-hmm. to f- have the, a soundboard anywhere i want in my car my phone and have that delivered to me in maybe a day or oh god forbid a week mine is mind-blowing to me and it's an amazing time to be a music fan so having yeah. digital it's awesome so I, you know, the Nug service, like Ryan said, there's a lot of amazing bands on there besides Aqueous. I would get it just for Aqueous. You know, obviously I love the band. It's a, it's a great service and it's, it works well. The app works well. There's a great new desktop app with it. Sounds like I'm doing a commercial for it. <laughs> but, in, and Ryan's recordings are excellent. So I particularly have loved the amount of bass that he puts into the show. So I can hear Evan. Amazingly, sometimes, you know, recreating bass from a live show where you have these huge speakers and boiling down into a small digital recording is a difficult thing. And Ryan's done a great job of that. I know I'm not the only person that thinks that. So major props to that. So um, real quick before we wrap this up, we talked about it and I had to ask him because a lot of people had asked me what's going to happen with the Toronto show. So we do have some good news. So, Ryan. So with that show, um, there was a bunch of power issues. The whole city of Toronto, not just this venue, but the whole city of Toronto um, had, I don't know if it was heat or what it was. Wind and rain because I lost power at my house for seven hours. Yeah. Actually left my girlfriend with a generator. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, so yeah, there was a, a bunch of, so mid show, the whole stage just, just went yeah. down and shut down and blacked out. And, um, and that happened like frequently three, like a couple times. different times. Yeah. And so the show exists. Um, and I am going to, w- what we're going to do is release it just on like archive, not on nugs. And it's more like a fan, um, you know, kind of listening show where you're going to have to deal with 
you know, all of a sudden losing it mid jam. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, it's a little frustrating, but anyways, um, I do, I did get the stems back from the guy that recorded that show specifically and I'm going to mix it down and, and yeah, I think we're going to release it in archive here probably pretty soon. Uh, I've been very busy, but, um, yeah, we'll get that out there and it'll be nice to, uh, yeah, for the fans, I do want to relive that show. It does exist, and uh, and hopefully I'll be getting out there. And it was still good, man. I was there, and there's some really cool jams in there. The it was, if you don't know when that was, that was May the fourth. So it was a Star Wars themed show, and the guys powered through it. It was a pretty rough thing for them, and you know it happened three or four times where they were just get right into it, and then we we lost power. So. Um, but I'm very happy to hear that because I can't, you know, as Ryan was talking about, I want to relive that. And it was a cool time up there. So that's good to hear. So um, you got anything else, Ryan? Um, no, I, I think the the last thing I want to say is that uh, that I do feel extremely, extremely lucky to be able to be working with this band and that I have nothing but the utmost respect for every single person that's involved in this band, whether you know, it's Dan Kunj, um, Michael Scott Colton, Jeff Briss, like our whole team of management with Plexus Management. They do a fantastic job. Um, they've been a huge part of the success, but, you know, more so the band is individuals, Mike, Dave, Rob, Evan, some of the best genuine human beings I've met in my entire life. And I'm not just saying that because, uh, you know, I'm here on their podcast, but um, just as a human being that's been out there living and met tons of different people, um, they're just some of the best people that, that exist. They're, they're good. They're good, kind hearted people that have taken me with open arms and, you know, things happen where again, you know, I, I learned the hard way sometimes. I'm not always proud of how some things have happened, you know, here or there, but everyone's very understanding and patient and we all work so well with each other. Um, and just the opportunities and experiences that we've shared with each other, I would never for any amount of money or, you know, anything, I would never trade that ever. Um, and so, yeah, just shout out to the band for being amazing, hardworking people that I, that I genuinely love and care for and would do anything for. And yeah, just closing out, I'd say fucking aqueous rocks. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I will tell you on the flip side, cause obviously he's not going to say it, but Ryan has fit in very nicely. Ryan is a really good dude. He does, you know, work for my podcast. We talk back and forth quite a bit. Ryan's a great guy. So if you see him out there with, uh, you know, with the with the iPad or, you know, as long as he's not too busy, say hi to him. He's, he'll take the time to talk to you. You know, he's cool with everybody. He's a laid back, you know, groovy kind of guy. So, you know, Ryan, you fit in nicely. And we're, we're glad to have you. So, well, thanks, everybody, for checking us out. And we have some more stuff coming up. The album will be dropping pretty soon, kind of a couple months, um, and we will be doing some stuff with the podcast with that. So we have some plans, and I will know a little bit more about that coming up. Uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter, especially. That's really where I, that's my forum for social media. We're at All In With AQ on Twitter, and then we're also on Facebook at All In With Aqueous. I also post to the Acquaintances Facebook page, so... You can also hit me up on my regular Twitter, which is, you know, kind of my fish and me Twitter, and that's at Lawn Memo. So I'm happy to steer you anything. You have any questions with the band, anything you want to talk about or ask them. You know, those guys are great with me, so I can always find out some stuff for you. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Ryan, you did a great job. Glad to have you. Thank you.
Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.